0: Welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always by Barnabas Piper and Pipe. We are a scant one week and change away from uh, a huge radio event, away from live in Louisville too, together for the rant. Um, I mean, this like, time,
1: like twenty-four hours away from it or so. Uh, at the twenty-four time, people hours listen away from to it this. when this drops, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, a little peek behind the radio curtain. You know, we don't we don't tape all these eps the same day that they drop, but um, yeah, it's a scant twenty-four hours away. Um, I know I will have trouble concentrating uh, in my day job the day before, and, and we should probably just all take the day before off. It just as a way to you know to rest up and be fresh for the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It should be like a national or at least you know partial holiday. Just
0: dude, it should you know, be a partial holiday. Sh- show show prep day. Dude, let me ask you this, man. In your line of work and in my line of work, what would we have to do to get like a day from our hometown? You know what I mean? Like Barnabas Piper Day. Oh, uh, you're in Minneapolis. I mean you're in a city with, a huge city with a bunch of celebrities, so that's gonna be a tough thing to do. Yeah, for I mean you. like
1: I don't even think Prince gets a day. Kirby Puckett doesn't get a day, so I think I'm just a Dude, lost Kirby Puckett cause. doesn't have a day? No, Kirby Puckett has a street uh oh, okay. has a street by what used to be the Metrodome. I I think they moved it over by the uh by Target Field now, and he's got a statue. Like he's got a yeah. he's got a he's got a cool statue, although it's kind of creepy. Um yeah. but yeah, like Dude, Prince
0: he was kinda, kinda creepy looking anyway, but in a cool way. Yeah, I mean, and yeah.
1: Well, it turns out he was kind of a creep too. But uh, you know, let's let Dude, bygones is really be. everybody's oh. a creep who you love as a child? Dude, like, that's right. I I'm just about waiting that, for actually. the stories to drop about Mister Rogers. No, I realize oh. that's sacrilegious to somebody, but it's yeah. you know, it's gonna happen. Um, Dude, you're right. Man. Like we you're lost, right. we That's lost true. Cosby. We lost Kirby Puckett. We, I mean, we lost. I mean, actors are just dropping like you're flies dropping like because flies. of their terrible decisions. So yeah, everybody, everybody you love is a bad
0: idol. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, oh, that sucks, man. That's why we need a Barnabas Piper Day in Minneapolis. So city of Minneapolis, <laughs> because drastic, I won't realistic. let you down. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> my um, yeah, my
1: claim to fame is he doesn't suck that bad.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, if you're if you're a small municipality and you're doling out days, I, I mean, I think that's really what you're looking at. It's about risk management at this point. You know, <laughs> who can you give a day to who's not going to later embarrass you? Uh, now, I, I feel I like bet, I would bet Ronnie has the
1: best shot of any of us because I feel like Ashland, Ohio, is the uh, is the lo- most likely to give a day to a, a moderate celebrity.
0: See, he's an outsider though, man, and I think there was a honeymoon period for Ron and Ashland in which, like. He walked down the street and he 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 might as well have been from the moon. You know what I mean? He might as well have had three heads. And I I witnessed this somewhat firsthand because I went to grad school in Ashland. So I know there was a flush of, oh my gosh, there's Ronnie, he's from Los Angeles, kind of kind of thing. But the thing you find out about small towns, especially in the Midwest, is that once once an outsider, always an outsider. So I think it's a tough nut to crack. Although I could see I could see Ronnie getting a day in Ashland on the strength of just having moved there from Los Angeles, you know, like someone shows us kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, They'd call it like the Ronnie Martin Citrus Festival or something like that.
0: I love it. Yeah. Ronnie Martin Citrus Festival. Nobody really knows what that means, but, uh, but I I could see it. I could see big R getting into that. Um, I come from a very small town as well, but I, I think the problem with my small town is if, if I had played one minute in the league I would have a day. Um, like if I'd even sniffed professional football, I would have a day. But even though I've written 25 books, like nobody in my town really cares about that. So I think I'm staring down the barrel of a, a lifetime of not having a day in, in Harvard city, Indiana. So um, as, as much as I would love that and a parade and I think authors you know, have to be dead for a certain amount of time before they get a day. Yeah, I think so. I think, cause you could always write something that sucks. And I think, you know, Uh, people are mitigating against that um i don't know and and every great author wrote lots of stuff that sucks that's just not what they're famous for exactly exactly you know what live in louisville is as close as i think we're going to get to having a day and it's it's a pretty good day all things considered oh yeah Uh, we're going to fill that big room at sojourn east and uh and we're going to we're going to have ourselves a day we're going to have cake uh we're going to have nerf footballs to give away dude i saw something about the spurgeon study bible which looks amazing are we giving those away too we
1: are. We have uh we have one for every attendee. Wow. Well, at least the first hundred and fifty. I Dude, I can, although, although I could probably finagle it from the sponsor. If we if we have more than that. Right now we're real close to that. So I mean it's a it's a good crowd. And yeah. uh and speaking of good crowds, since there's another large conference that we don't particularly care that much about happening and right after ours, not it's at like, all about. It. It's sort of not like the it's like the sloppy seconds of Together for the oh.
0: um <laughs> Oh, I love it, though. I love it. That it's, I, was, uh, I was a little taken aback by that, but then I realized how much, how much I love it. So, so, carry on.
1: If you're in town for that thing, uh-huh. um, and you decide you want to show up for our event, or if you have a friend who happens to be in town for that other thing, and you want to bring them... We can sell tickets at the door, so uh, if you if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh no, it's tomorrow! I didn't get a ticket or didn't have a ticket for so and so don't worry, show up. We will happily sell you tickets. We will have cake for you and Nerf balls and
0: all sorts of other goodies, including Spurgeon Study Bibles. So uh, there you why don't go. You join there us? it is. Little promo. Little promo for live in Louisville too. And uh, I'm gonna miss doing those promos because in a couple of weeks the the whole thing is gonna be over. And uh, we're going to have some, post, some post-day depression to deal with, I think, Piper. But uh, did, until did then— Did we
1: bury the lead by failing to mention that Ronnie will be there? Oh, yeah. Ronnie will be there. Oh, yeah. Supp- okay. Allegedly. I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard from him. I, I, conf- I confirmed that he is, in fact, off of sabbatical. I oh, chastised him for failing to make the proper social media announcement that he was back yeah. and everybody should breathe a you know, breathe a big sigh of relief. They could they could now enjoy their their social media again. That's um right. and uh and yes, he is he is in fact intending to be there. So That's he is, great, man. He's not just fading off into the sunset.
0: Now is he off of social media sabbat or off of like real sabbatical? No, he's off or of both. the real
1: thing. Like Easter was his first big Sunday back in the uh oh, Saturday.
0: Dude, the big Easter, the the big Easter appearance. I love it, man. That's right. I love it. Um, that's good. That's good news. Pipe, we have uh, we have a lot to discuss. But I want to before we move on from live in Louisville too. I want one of those Spurgeon study Bibles, man. So I don't know if the sponsor had those earmarked for the talent as well, but uh, maybe we can maybe we can snag a couple of those. Oh, and hold we them we back. can hook that up. I'm going home with Nerf footballs and a new Spurgeon study Bible and uh, and whatever whatever other swag that people bring for me, man. I've heard rumblings here and there. You know that there could be uh, there could be some some swag coming my way since the the swag showing w- left a little bit to be desired last time for me, but um, I'm looking forward to it regardless. That will be a great event. Um, something you should check out before the event, during the event, and after the event is Ligaris Roasters coffee and tea. So and I was tea. I was confronted in love a bit at at church by one Hector Ligaris. and believe you me, you don't want to be confronted by Hector Lagaris. Uh, but he, he did it in a very kind way, but he was basically like, why haven't you guys been talking about the tea? And I can tell you it's because I don't drink tea. Um, but I've heard from people that do drink it, that, uh, LeGar's Roasters tea is wonderful. Um, so go to com, get a bag of coffee and tea, and you will thank us. You will be glad that you did. See, and uh,
1: here's, here will be the proof of the goodness of that tea when, you know, once Ronnie is back in the podcast swing, and that is if, if Ligaris tea can mm. oust Youthberry as Ronnie's right. favorite, then yeah. then all can be assured that it is, in fact, the greatest tea known to humanity.
0: If it can take the years off of him in the same way that the Youthberry does. So I'm guessing Ron, after the sabbatical, is going to look like he's about 17 years old. So um, I'm thinking Ligaris takes a few years off of that. So we're, we're going to be looking at prepubescent Ron uh, probably on stage at Live in Louisville.
1: Yes, happy rant, Benjamin Button T. <laughs>
0: absolutely, man, absolutely. But well, Pipe, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. Um, you posed a fascinating topic, and that is what do courage and bravery even mean anymore? Um, so these, these, these terms, courage and bravery, they used to stand for very tangible things, um, and now they're attached to every single thing. So, for example, if someone – You know, tweet something. um, You know, they could be lauded for their courage and bravery when, in fact, all they've done is something not very risky. So I feel like we're we're running the risk of of delving into the 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 kind of grizzled old man territory that you and I have gotten a lot of mileage out of the last few weeks, especially since Ron has been gone. I feel like we've kind of um, we've kind of settled into our roles as uh, as curmudgeonly older men. Yeah, Statler and Waldorf. Exactly. Exactly. So. Pipe, what did you what did you have in mind when you posed this topic? Because I think it's fascinating.
1: Well, I yeah, I'm going to work really hard not to just you know go greatest generation on everybody, especially because <laughs> I'm I'm 35 and exactly not, not part of that generation. In fact, I'm technically yeah. a millennial. Which I think gives me the cred to make
0: fun of my peers on this one. You can goof on millennials in a way that I can't because I just barely missed the cutoff for that one. So
1: You're Gen X. You get to goof on everybody. In fact, I think you're called to just essentially roll your eyes at the world. So, um. Dude,
0: right. We started out rolling our eyes at the world. But right. what happens when we get older as Gen Xers? Do we just continue doing that? We just do it in a more kind of grizzled way?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because usually as people get older, they sort of become their parents' generation. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. I mean, what – I don't – I'm not really sure about that. It. Yeah. uh, The question is do you you have the bravery to make a decision? Do you have the courage,
0: Ted? I don't know, man. To to take a stance one way or the other? See, Um, I don't feel like smugness really takes any courage and that may be what we're talking about because I feel like Gen Xers – not that we invented smugness, but we kind of did. We brought it into the light. Like we brought smugness into the mainstream. And I feel like millennials have just kind of doubled down on our our Generation X smugness. Oh, um, yeah.
1: And irony goes right with that because it's sort of a – it's like a, an expression of a smug attitude. Irony is the least right. courageous thing. And I say this as somebody who –
0: who drives on it? Yeah, I yeah. sort of
1: swim in those waters all the time. And it is an utterly self protective thing. If you do something yeah. ironically, you cannot be
0: insulted. Absolutely. So the greatest generation won wars and like built industries yeah, and invented and things. Invented things. My generation has contributed irony and like sarcasm is our gift to the yeah, world. Yeah, we've
1: and yeah, we've contributed like the Netflix stand up special.
0: Um, <laughs> which. Yeah
1: while wildly entertaining not a thing to build a society on exactly the thing that i've noticed is how just the, the lack of self-awareness that goes mm-hmm. into calling things courageous so somebody takes a stance um on social media usually i mean Rick, you know that's the easiest way to take a stance on anything cuz it's where yeah. we can be the loudest with the you know the least confrontation yep and uh and they, they state an opinion about something that the vast majority of public American society agrees with. Right. So, you know, something about gay marriage or something, or at least, at least the vast majority of their tribe agrees with, because most of them are, most of us are tribal beings. Yeah. And, and people laud them for their courage or people come out of the closet or people, Mm -hmm. you know, quit their job because their boss was, you know, uh, a cheat or a molester or whatever. And like, they're called courageous and, and like, the the same word applies to all of these things uh-huh but but like it's not courageous to do a thing that everybody already thinks is what people should be doing
0: exactly exactly so, so
1: if society as a whole thinks that gay marriage is is fine and dandy if the conservative church as a whole thinks it's not if you're part of one of those camps and you state
0: the party line you're mm-hmm. not courageous you're right. just you're just saying words you're just doing the standard thing because you know the kind of feedback that it's going to bring you and, and it's feedback that you like. Um, so you're, you're like, you know how to press the, the bar or the button in order to get the, you know, the treat that you like. And that's kind of social media in a nutshell. So I'll, I'll ask you this pipe and we can, we can talk about this for a minute. Um, in this kind of courage less and bravery environment that we live in and in, in which these words have been, you know, co-opted and kind of ruins, where do you look for, like, real courage and bravery? So, like, if you want to see it, if you want to see it, like, embodied or represented, where do you – like, where do you look for it, if that makes sense? Does it make sense?
1: Yeah, it it does. I think – obviously, we don't have – I don't think we have the same sort of, like – these broad sweeping ways where people can do it, you know, like the, like the, the, the beaches of Normandy, you know, for example, we don't have these epic showings of bravery where millions of people are doing Mm -hmm. something basically to do anything courageous requires personal risk. Yeah. And so like, so for example, the women, especially the first women who vocalized the abuse against them as part of the – sort of the initial Me Too movement, sure. um, that took personal risk because they were they were risking career. They were risking um, slander. They were risking being ignored, which when yeah. you are a victim, being ignored kind of doubles down on the victimhood and the pain. Sure. So that's personal risk. Um, being not ironic is risky. So yeah. being, being a genuine being person – Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm afraid to use the word earnest because there's a sort of earnestness that's also a facade. You know, it's like uh-huh. that's, yeah. it's so earnest, it's not real. Uh-huh. You're not really connecting with the person. So just sort of being yourself is, mm-hmm. is a risk in a world where uh, insults come hot and heavy. Yeah. Um, honestly, people in the military are still, they, they deserve far more. Uh, they deserve far more credit and respect than they get for their willingness to lay down their life for something. Namely yeah. us and the nation right. that we're part of.
0: Right. So
1: I think I think those are all places to look for it, but it's basically anybody who is taking a personal risk for something worth doing. That's that's yeah. courage and bravery. The problem is we've attached it to people who are who are just mouthpieces. Yeah. You know, take a courageous stand on something. No, he didn't. He took the Fox News stand or he took the MSNBC News stand or he took the LGBT mm-hmm. stand or the right wing stand or the Make America Great Again stand. Like, those are all, none of those are courageous. Those are yeah. all just, you have an army behind you already.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I tell you, man, and this is, this might be a little controversial. I look to, like, whenever I want to get a little hit of genuine courage, um, I still enjoy sports for that. And, you know, I know we have listeners who don't like sports. I know that there's a lot of controversy. Thank you, Gospel Coalition, about, um, violent sports, certain violent sports. But I tell you, man, as a coach and as a coach who used, I coach college guys now, but I used to coach, you know, high school kids. Like there was nothing more thrilling and exciting to me than putting a kid, putting a kid in a situation or a game that he didn't quite think he could pull off and then Mm -hmm. watching him pull it off. Um, Dude, that's like crack to me, and and I think every coach who's who's any good would agree with that. And like, that's what keeps you coming back because you get to see a kid have a a growing up moment, and like growing up in a good way where, mm-hmm. um, you know, he doesn't think he can survive a practice or he doesn't think he can survive in a drill against a certain guy, and you put him in there, and and you know that he can do it, and then he learns that he can do it, and um, or even to me, if he, that's a,
1: even if he can't do it, he learns that he can't do it with with effort and pride and, and, you know, and he, and and he'll survive it. Like, even if the dude runs over him in the drill, he gets up, he dusts himself off, he ices his bruises and he comes back and does it again.
0: And there's all kinds of mutual respect that's been built between all parties involved. And I tell you, man, again, I sound like an old man, but I think that's why we need, we need these sports, you know, and that's not to say that they're a great fit for everybody or that everybody's going to like them, but, Um, at the end of the day, when I want to see real courage, that's kind of where I go. And and that could be applied to, you know, some of the higher level sports things. And I mean, you and I watch the NFL. We Mm -hmm. watch the NBA. I still occasionally watch boxing. And I think I watch because I want to see I want to see that. And you don't always get it. But, you know, I think there's always the chance that you see like some incredible Willis Reed game type performance in the NBA or you see, you know, an incredibly courageous, you know, fighter finishing a fight on his feet or whatever. I remember the 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 fight that made me really fall back in love with boxing. I've had an on again, off again relationship with boxing, but um, the one a few years ago that made me fall back in love with it was uh, Manny Pacquiao versus Antonio Margarito, and uh, Margarito was far outclassed by Pacquiao. Pacquiao was in his prime, and in fact. Uh, Margarito broke three ribs, separated his shoulder. I think he broke his orbital bone, but he finished the fight on his feet and it was an incredibly courageous performance. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you can't get this anywhere else. You know, this is, this is why we watch because there's something magical, even about watching a guy lose in the right way. You know,
1: I think, I think there's something similar to that in parenting. You know, you, you have a, you, your oldest son is. A couple years older than my oldest daughter so yep. both of them are kind of middle school high early high school right in that age range uh every day is sort of an emotional boxing match potentially for kids <laughs> yeah, at that for sure. age i mean there's there's some awful kids at my daughter's school you know not the mm-hmm. majority The majority of them are just yeah, fine yeah. but there's a few who are just little words that i'm not supposed to say on this podcast and yeah. uh and so to to sort of Help my daughter pick herself up, dust herself off, turn around, and get back in the game. You know, multiple times a week. There's yeah. courage in that if if Absolutely. we choose to see it. And then and then the other thing I'm learning about parenting and courage is like if we if we stop trying to shelter our kids, mm-hmm. they show insane courage, dude. If, they do if we let them. Absolutely, you know, my daughter has gone out for. I mean, I think I've even mentioned this on the podcast, but. You know, auditioned for singing parts in choirs and mm. and uh talent shows and things like that, which absolutely terrifies me oh for sure, but yeah and and she and she's nervous as I'll get out before she does it, but the mm-hmm. fact that she's terrified, she works hard, she does it, she has gotten some parts and not others, so there's failure involved that's to me, I look at that and I go there's 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 a there's a courage lesson there and
0: almost oh, definitely that's
1: far more impressive to me than somebody you know bloviating on a on a news show or on Facebook live or whatever about an opinion that that is already held by millions of people, which, which are usually the things that get lauded as courageous these days
0: oh for sure man dude that's such an interesting point i, I think childhood and in middle school high school like it's so laden with these courage type moments, you know, because I think you've part of being that age is that you haven't lived for very long. So everything takes on a huge sense of, of import when you're that age, that, that it doesn't when you're our age, for example. And, um, yeah, I I think sometimes we don't give enough credit to how, how much courage goes into, you know, getting up and going out and, and trying out for those things and just navigating and surviving all that stuff. And, you know, interestingly the temptation as parents is to want to create a risk-free environment for our children you know like these these high-control helicopter parents and and we've all got those temptations i think is to want to create you know a completely safe sanitized environment where you know my kid is always the hero and the star and um you know everything breaks great for them but you know i think when we do that we do a massive disservice to our kids
1: totally yeah totally agree i think i mean Even hearing some of the things my kids do in gym class now, I just roll my eyes because they're you know (laughs) they do like cup stacking instead of. I mean, this is when they're younger elementary school, but yeah, yeah. I'm like younger elementary school. We were playing. I mean, we were at least playing like kickball. Or yeah, something. Yeah. Like they, they, they've removed all risk because they don't want kids to get their feelings hurt by losing and they don't yeah. want them to get their faces hurt by a rubber ball. And I'm like, both of those things are immensely important. Every kid needs to be hit in the face with a rubber ball a few times and every kid needs to lose a few times. And Oh, absolutely. Those are those are essential parts of, of life and building courage. Because every time you lose and you survive, you have gained an element of courage.
0: Dude, one of the interesting things about kids never losing is that in my business as a college professor, we we have to deal with the fruit of a kid who's never lost in that you know, they get here and all of a sudden they're thrown into a classroom with a whole bunch of other talented kids and suddenly they're not the best anymore and you know, I think psychologically and emotionally that can be that can be ruinous for this generation in a way that it wasn't necessarily in the past. You know, there wasn't there wasn't the sense that I'm the most special person in every room that I walk into um twenty or thirty years ago. But um but now I think a lot of kids have been navigated through a a relatively riskless, painless childhood, and then they get to college and, and um you know their world comes crashing down if they get a bee, you know.
1: <laughs> Man, bees in college were like my my holy grail.
0: Oh mine too. Yeah, I was so <laughs> thrilled with a bee. You know, I was, I was breathing a huge sigh of relief, but yeah, the B now, I don't know where it is at every school, how, how it is at every school, but the B now is akin to like, you've given them an F, like you've, you've literally like looked them in the eye and called them a failure if you give them a B and it's a, it's a fascinating like attitude shift. It's a really just interesting thing to navigate, but, um, but pipe, we have to, we have to move on and navigate through this podcast. And our next topic is how do we respond to one Upsmanship? So uh, you and I are both in jobs that require a lot of people work and a lot of kind of after hours, evening, you know, adult chit chat kind of scenarios at at parties or book releases or, um, you know, speaking engagements or whatever. And there's always that guy who has a better story or more achievements, or just kind of wants to shift the focus in the spotlight to him. So how do you deal with or respond to uh, one Upsmanship guy?
1: Yeah, this. so a, a listener posed a version of this question to us. Uh, this listener is a pastor who has uh-huh. in his larger extended family another pastor who, uh-huh. he says, every time they're in the same place for a family gathering, the other other distant relative pastor is constantly sort of talking about how great his church is
0: mm. and, and mm-hmm.
1: sort of all, all essentially sort of one upping pastor number yeah. one. And, uh, and that context made me kind of chuckle partly because you got family dynamics, partly because you've got uh cause it's, cause it's the pastorate as opposed to anything, you know, unspiritual. So yeah. that, that, that was where the question came from. And dealing with the one upmanship guy is, I mean, the easiest answer is to one up him, mm-hmm. but but that's sort of a it's a loser's game, yeah. because even yeah. if you win, you just come out looking like the bigger jerk. Um, yes, and so you know if if he comes armed with seventy two names to drop, uh-huh. uh huh, maybe you have seventy five, but the fact is that you are now seventy five times more of a jerk than you were before,
0: um, <laughs> and everyone at the party knows it. And, and so, you and you've essentially yes. made yourself sadder. So, like, I think, yes, is there you, anything sadder than spiritual one-upsmanship? <laughs> I think it might be the saddest kind. Well, Don't you think? Because it's so
1: counter to everything that we actually believe. I mean, that's the yes. thing. Is like, if when, when when in a Christian context, so people are speaking about something that has elements of God's work in it. So, their personal God's spiritual eugenia, lives, grace, ministry, yeah, right, right. something, mm-hmm. and it turns into one-upsmanship. You have. Like this is precisely the opposite of you know faith like a child and the last shall be first and these other things that very explicitly are are sort of God's economy of greatness, right? And right. yet we're all suckers for it because you know you have co-authored with so and so we have met so and so at a publishing event I had yeah. dinner with you know these are it just it it, it just. It completely it shows how completely skewed our sense of of actual you know greatness and what matters is especially most especially since if you ask most people all of that greatness they actually don't think is very impressive. I'm yeah, that's I've true. had dinner with lots of famous people in the Christian world and have mm-hmm. been unimpressed by most of
0: them. Yeah, most of them are super boring people,
1: or just or just not very nice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the ones who are great are the ones who are are completely unimpressive and they're just kind and friendly. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh, I like having a conversation with this guy. Or oh he asked me a personal question instead of instead of acting like he was a big shot. Like those are those are the guys who matter. And so in terms of responding to the one upmanship guy, I just I feel like the best way is just to not play the game. You just sort of let him tell his stories and go Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Dude, here's a dilemma. Here's something you can help me with because I, I'm I'm fairly certain you get this too probably. Um, In part because of who your dad is, but also in part because of of what you've done yourself. What do you do when you're in a a party or a conversational scenario in which people want you to tell famous person stories? Um, I can do that. And in fact, I can do it in really funny, crowd pleasing kinds of ways that that will get laughs or, you know, satisfy their curiosity or whatever. But I always feel like a little bit of a creep, when I do it, even if I've been prompted to do it. So, how do you handle that? Because I'm sure you get it.
1: Um, I used to try to to live up to their expectations. You know, be like, "Well, this uh-huh. one time," you know, and, and kind of go into yeah, yeah. these stories. And I realized a couple of things. First, I'm a terrible storyteller. So, um, really,
0: oh, that's I mean, interesting.
1: I can write a better story than I can tell. It sure. Just, I have a habit of getting to the end of the story, and people are like, "And oh,
0: you know, yeah, was, yeah, yeah." That was a bit of a yeah. letdown.
1: Um, yeah, and and so there's there's the bad storyteller part. So I realized that about myself, but then also just it, everything we've talked about, um, you know, telling stories about famous pastor is just it's just asinine. Mm. And so I'm feeding their delusion about greatness. Yeah. And so my goal is not to make these pastors unimpressive to them, but you know, I'm not gonna be like, well, so and so was a jerk. Because yeah. that's that's just that's counterproductive. So I think it's what I've what I've tried to start doing is telling short stories about the good experiences. You know, the mm-hmm. ones that I enjoyed. So a person I met who actually was I enjoyed the experience of having dinner with so and so. So and so was really kind. I you know, that kind of thing. Because because I would I would rather build up that person in their mind for the right yeah. reasons than yeah. this other guy in their mind just because his name is famous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Dude, I've got one story that I always go to in those in those scenarios. And I know it's it's probably disappointing to the people in the room because they want me to talk about, you know, meeting Barnabas Piper or meeting, you know, some other some other famous evangelical oh, dignitary. Those poor souls. Yeah, exactly. But um I call it I and it's funny because I, I bill it as my Heath Ledger story. Um When in fact, it's not exactly about Heath Ledger, but there was a dude, long story short, there was a dude at my high school, good friend of mine, man, we grew up together, grew up around the corner from each other. His dad was my favorite prophet, Taylor. And he, so he moved to New York and uh, became a a science teacher in the Bronx. And he ended up through a a series of circumstances meeting Heath Ledger's ex-girlfriend, Michelle Williams, the Hollywood actress. Mm -hmm. And they actually went on several dates together. And... When he told me this story, I was I pipe I was literally so impressed with it. It's it's the most impressive thing to ever happen to anyone in my hometown, in my opinion. And I'm so filled with pride over my boy from Blackford High School, class of 1994, going on like three dates with Michelle Williams. That I tell this story whenever I get a chance because it's it's uh, it's a pleasure for me each and every time to tell it. Um, but everybody's let down because it has kind of nothing to do with Heath Ledger. But if I bill it as a Michelle Williams story, everybody was like, Michelle Williams, doesn't she like, you know, go to union or she's a secretary at the church or whatever. It's just a common name. You yeah, know yeah, I, mean? I know Michelle Williams. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so that's my story, man. That's the one I, I lean on whenever anyone wants a celebrity story. And, and it's good because it's not about me. Um, it's not really even about Heath Ledger. And, and it gets them to stop asking you for stories. <laughs> exactly, like, exactly. Oh, but, was, okay next dude but i've gotten so good at telling it and, and this is a little bit of braggadociousness from me but like i've told it so many times that i feel like i have the cadence down like everything about it is is like pitch perfect and uh i just i relish telling it but but yeah undoubtedly people leave the story disappointed because they're like where does he Ledger come in and and you know it's always a little bit of a letdown but um <laughs> but it gets me out of the celebrity story game real quick Pipe, uh, speaking of celebrities, we had, um, we had an interesting conversation off the air in our pre-production meeting today in which um, I confided in you that today has been a day of grinding through academic administrivia for me, i.e. just paperwork and phone calls. And um, and I also confided in you that I hate the movie Dead Poets Society, which if people have listened to the show for any amount of time, they know that about me. And I indicated that Dead Poet Society would have been a much different movie if it had been told from the standpoint of the administrators who had to deal with what a crappy teacher, John Keating actually was. Um, and this begged the question. And, and so I indicated again that I hated dead poet society and, and you asked why. And I, I said, I think I hated it because I hate it because I used to love it. And I feel sheepish for having loved it at one time. Um, because it indicates something about me at that time. Um so the question is what are movies that we used to think were great that we no longer think are great? Um Dead Poet Society is one for me. Do you have one kind of queued up that you that you would go with? So I it's
1: this is this is that category. It's also I used to think it was great and I haven't watched it in so long because I'm afraid I wouldn't think it was great now. Yeah. And it's the usual suspects.
0: Ooh, interesting. Now, that's one that I still think is great, but I'll admit that I haven't watched it in years. Yeah, I
1: I probably haven't watched it in 15 years. Okay. 12 years, something like that. So, I mean, I I watched it. I remember watching where I was. I remember the person's house I was at in high school with a bunch of guys, you know, like 11 o'clock at night, and it blowing my mind. You know, the plot plot twist at the end. Uh, I don't know if we need to drop a spoiler alert here. Um, I feel like. Uh, the statute of limitations on that has probably passed for this movie.
0: Also Kevin Spacey is, is no longer a person right. that you can yeah, like. Another, so I feel another, like we can ruin I, his movies now.
1: Yeah, another idol who flew too close to the sun and, and fell into the yep. sea. So he's uh So that movie was I mean it was it just I think I I probably watched it twelve times between the ages of seventeen and and, you know, twenty-three yeah. or something, like through college. Yeah, and I haven't seen it since. And I'm really afraid that if I went back and watched it, I'd be like, "This is,
0: this is a really bad
1: movie," or like, dude, that, or, or it just would let me down.
0: That was a movie that made you feel smarter because of your proximity to it. You yes. know what I mean? It made you feel cooler because it was cool. It was edgy. It was different. Um, it had the big twist at the end. So I think that was a movie that in the '90s, if you were smug, you would talk about it in such a way. You you would use it to like measure people, like like, dude, have you seen? You know, have you seen the usual suspects? Yeah, he was But it it was
1: like a smart popular movie, not like a smart film buff movie. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the American beauty type of movie that that arty people liked. It was, you know, it was was an everyman movie, but like a
0: smart everyman movie. Exactly. Dude, another one like that that doesn't hold up for me is Memento. Remember Memento? I hated Memento. I hated Memento Memento from the get go. I liked Memento in the nineties when I wanted to be smug and, and be and appear to be an arty person, but I actually hate Memento and I, and I actually, and this is going to be controversial too. I'm not a Christopher Nolan guy. Um, Christopher Nolan to me, and he's, he's good. He's a really good filmmaker. So, you know, don't take this as like me wholesale hating on Christopher Nolan, but Nolan to me is an example of the kind of writer that I am not like, I'm a character guy. And I think Nolan is a plot guy. Um, with Nolan movies, it's all about the big twist. It's all about, oh, you thought it was one thing and it's another thing. Um, that's kind of the Nolan. That's the Nolan thing, and it's just not the kind of writer I am. So I think it's not the kind of movie watcher I am. Um, but but to me, Memento was another one that it invited you to feel smart and smug, and uh, it's actually not that great of a movie. Did you ever see the
1: movie The Game?
0: The Game. Uh, Jog my memory. Who's in it? With Michael Douglas. Dude, yeah, it was about hunting people, right? Wasn't it about hunting well, people? No, it was a oh. – it, it was
1: a – again, major plot twist, spoiler yeah. alert. I, this one wasn't popular enough. I feel like a lot of people probably haven't seen it. It was another one that about that same period, so late 90s, early 2000s, I saw it. blew my mind. Huge plot twist mm-hmm. to the end. So it's this very successful banker businessman who yeah. – who ends up having just a series of terrible things happening to him, and he's being hunted by people, and you don't really know why. You just think it's this big conspiracy. And then at the end, it looks as if he's killed, and it turns out it's all all been an elaborate prank played on him by his brother, who I think he (laughs) thought was dead
0: the whole movie. I remember this. Yes, I I have seen it. And
1: so at the time, it it was the most – it was the first time – I had ever been completely stumped by a movie. Just totally mm-hmm. didn't see it coming at the end.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: uh-huh. and it blew me away and now I'm afraid to go back and watch it partly because I know what the twist is, but partly because I am I'm, I'm afraid that my being super impressed by something at, at 17 or 18 um might not hold up very well as an actual adult.
0: Exactly, man, exactly. So dude, I'll, I I want to ask you this. How do you how do you feel about Christopher Nolan because I finally watched The Prestige, and The Prestige is a movie that's a little bit older. It's a Nolan film, and college kids – like, my students all wanted me to watch it. They're like, Cluck, you've got to watch The Prestige. You're going to love it. It's incredible. Blah, 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 blah. So The Prestige had – ah, the, the kid from Batman. Um, why am I blanking on this name? Guy which, who played Batman.
1: Which uh, – Christian
0: uh, Bale? Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah. So it had Christian Bale. It had, I think it had Hugh Jackman in it. Yes. And yeah. – I watched it, and I was like, you know, it's a decent movie. It's got the big Nolan-y twist in the end, but I, w- I will never watch it again. You know what I mean? Because I think there's there's nothing in it for me that invites me to, to, like, relate to the movie or grab onto it or like it. So I'm curious as to what people love about that, but also just in general what people love about Christopher Nolan. Um, can you
1: speak to that at all? Christopher Nolan movies are, like, really fun roller coasters. Okay, you know it's it's it is a it's a ride but and it uh-huh. doesn't matter who you're on, like the ride is not better because you're there with anybody else there's nothing there's nothing relational about it yeah it's just a really crazy good time you know okay. you know the batman movies were like that mm-hmm. the prestige was like that i really enjoyed the prestige the problem yeah. with a roller coaster is once you've done it it progressively it. loses enjoyment every time you ex- it ex- you know, you experience it thereafter. You're like, oh, here comes the curve. You know, here's the big drop, and here's the loop, yeah. loop, and like it just sort of. It's not as fun every single time for some of us. There are some people yeah. who are the types who will get off a roller coaster and run and get back in line and ride it again. So I think it has yeah. a lot, it has a lot to do with just personality. I think I was thinking about Nolan. So like Nolan's Batman versus all the Marvel movies. So superhero yeah. movies. Both are excellently done you know sort of yeah. both universes I like the Marvel movies more because the characters are interesting and relatable and yeah. you know and that's not to say that they are these deep human plots or whatever yeah. but they they're, they're yeah, just yeah, yeah. you actually like them and yeah. there's no memorable characters in
0: no one's movies there's memorable Dude, right.
1: there's memorable things that happen but no there's memorable, memorable things that happen
0: yeah but no memorable like i would watch uh, what what are the movies that have Tony Stark Iron Man? I would oh, I man. would watch yes. the Iron Man movies. I would rewatch those before I would rewatch any Christopher Nolan movie, because um, I find that character interesting and I find some of the secondary characters interesting. Um, I'm with you on that, man. So so here's a question: What makes a movie rewatchable? So so for you, what are the movies that you rewatch? Let's let's identify a couple of those and then let's talk about what makes them rewatchable.
1: Um. Well, having having kids who are growing up into fun movie watching ages now has has yeah. changed has changed this a lot for me because I can now introduce them to movies that I have loved over the years. So in the last such a years, blast, man. so the you know the Sandlot and the Princess Bride and all the Marvel movies and I honestly I haven't shown them the Batman ones and I they keep asking why and the short answer is I don't really want to rewatch them. Um, same, yeah, same. And uh, I don't tell them that. I tell them it's just best to wait a little while. Um, they're a little dark. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. let's see what else? Uh, back to the future. We just watched a couple of oh, nights ago, dude, yes. which is absolutely, you know, apparently you could swear a ton in PG movies in, uh, in the eighties, which I forgot about, which, you know, that's, I don't particularly care. It just was a surprise to me because PG now is like Pixar and PG then was a lot of cussing. Dude, um, you know what movie like that
0: has so much swearing in it? The Goonies. <laughs> Have you shown your kids the Goonies? No. Oh my gosh. My kids I think they learned to swear from the Goonies. Because I, I was I was all nostalgic and I'm like, oh you guys, we gotta watch this. You guys are gonna love this. And and they did love it, but like there's an ungodly amount of swearing in that movie. Yeah, my kids learned to swear from me, so I'm not uh <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I can't cast any stones in movies. Um yeah. yep. so but those are all movies that like and I've and I've thoroughly enjoyed the rewatching. I mean, the Sandlot I have watched a thousand times. Princess Bride I've seen a thousand times. Yeah. And it's it is the characters like you you sort of live in the movie with the characters you just like mm-hmm. them so much i think is what yeah. makes those rewatchable and you know it's part of the reason like the star wars movies were so rewatchable the the original 3 the mm-hmm. anything that's come since then is is hit or miss but yeah because like who doesn't love han solo yeah. you know princess leia these these characters that are just sort of seminal Right. And it's part of the reason so many movies that come out these days are just lame because yeah. what was the last movie that came out with really memorable characters outside of the Marvel universe cuz it's kind of its own thing.
0: Dude, right, and I feel like most movies are dude, most of the big budget movies that get a that get a big push marketing-wise are these kind of Marvel movie type adaptations and like it's rare that you get an original character anymore. You know, it's rare that you get like you're not getting a Jerry Maguire anymore. You know what I mean? Uh mm-hmm. you know, just a perfectly crafted character with all this nuance and all right. these Even just real quotable like Tommy right. boy. Oh
1: yeah. You know, like Dude, there, there right? was a, there was a period of comedies where like they were the, you know, Billy Madison, Tommy boy, all the way up through like anchor man. There was yeah. just a stretch in there that they were, they were Zoolander. All of them were just, they were sort of these characters that you, they,
0: you just owned the character and loved it and, and quoted Absolutely. it. And I Dude, still quoted it in, quote quote in the dorm in college. Yes. Like what are college kids quoting nowadays? You know what I mean? That's a that's a fascinating question. You should like, pull if you're a you a college pull dude, your students on that be like what movies get quoted? I don't hear them quoting movies. You know what I mean? I feel like in the in the 90s you could go up to any college dude and quote a line from Tommy Boy and he would pick it up. You know, and and you could just like recreate the whole movie between the two of you. Um I don't think we have that anymore, man. Nobody's quoting movies. Um poor kids. I know. Dude, right. Right. It's sad and it's interesting and um, yeah, one of the more satisfying things about parenting for me is is my kids beginning to quote awesome things from movies that I think are awesome, and us being able to do that together, which is a total blast. Um, that's coming for you, man. Actually, you're you're probably in it right now, man. You're probably you're probably experiencing some of that as a parent. I think.
1: Yeah, we're getting there. I, I think I need to show them some of these movies a few times
0: more. Um, yeah, so that so that the, the quotes stick. Yeah, yeah. See, my guys are pretty. They're pretty conversant in Tommy Boy. You know, they they, they do a good job with Tommy Boy. Um, yeah, Back to the Future, some of those classics that, that we've watched, they'll 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 drop quotes, you know, from time to time from those movies. And it's it's really satisfying. Yeah, it's my, a lot of fun.
1: I, I have these very proud moments where we'll be watching a movie and my, one of my daughters will look at me and go, Oh, that's where you get it from. Exactly.
0: Yes. Dude, you talk about a movie with great characters. I just showed Tristan. Tristan's my oldest. He's a freshman in high school. It's probably a bad parenting move, but uh, I showed him *Goodwill Hunting*. Um, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck from How the nineties. I like them apples. Oh, dude, so freaking good! Such good characters. Like every character in their little posse is just legendary. Mm-hmm. Chucky is the most amazing sidekick, <laughs> best friend ever with <laughs> the screen. It's the most amazing thing Ben Affleck has ever done in his life. He should have stopped at Chucky. But um, and just move yeah. straight into directing. Dude, just incredible. Even the even the like curly headed blonde dude that was in their posse who had like always a really dangerous look on his face, like that guy was unbelievable. Um I don't know what he ever went on to do, but it should have been great things. I hope it was. Um but you talk about a great character driven movie that I can watch any place, anytime at the drop of a hat. If Goodwill Hunting's on, I'm 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 in. Um it never it never gets old for me because I think it's just manifestly real and relatable and about people and um, all the things I love about a about a great movie. So, Pipe, we have to get out. Um, but real quick, man, people like it when we talk about what we're reading. So are you reading anything good right now? What are you, uh, what uh, are you reading?
1: I just finished a couple books that were uh, really fascinating. I don't know if they were any good, though. Uh, the, fir- the fir- Well, the first one was definitely good. It was called Live from New York. Okay. And it was an oral history of Saturday Night Live. Dude, I've Renner. read that. So James Andrew Miller's the guy who did it. He's sort of an oral yep.
0: history uh, guru. And Dude, it's, how do you feel about oral histories? I enjoy them, but I, they could they could get a little tedious. I yeah, guess. I was
1: gonna say they, they have to be really well edited or they get very cumbersome because you know when you get seventy two quotes on the same thing, like, yeah. you probably could have stopped at four.
0: And, Dude, I tell you, I didn't get through the oral history of ESPN and i was really looking That's like forward to 900
1: that. 900
0: pages. Dude, it's 900 pages and it's all basically about halfway through it just devolves into like stories about who's a dirtbag in the office and like who's trying to sleep with everybody and i'm just yes. like oh my gosh this is i can't do it anymore.
1: Yeah, but I I thought I thought Live from New York was really really interesting because I didn't know the history of Saturday Night Live very well in terms of its like it's very sort of accidental controversial beginnings the way that it was yep. nearly canceled over and over and over again. My my only recollection of it was sort of those like the peak humor of Phil Hartman and Will Ferrell and these these guys.
0: Um, Dude, you talk about quotable stuff at school the next day. I mean that was yes. gold, absolute gold, and. And so you know it stopped
1: it stopped at about the Tina Fey era. Well I mean I guess that's about when 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 it was published. Yeah. And um but it was if you if you love comedy you love entertainment history you just love that show any era of that show it's yeah. it's worth cuz you kind of see how it built on the shoulders of the people before it and it'll also you know deflate your impression of some of the people involved um for example i guess chevy chase is the worst person in the world i didn't know that prior to this book um yeah. the other one that i just finished is called extreme ownership mm. which I picked it up because I try to read one or two leadership books a year for work-related yeah. stuff, and this one was by two former um, uh, Navy SEALs, and so oh, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So a guy named Jocko Willink, if there's not a Navy SEAL name, more Navy SEAL than Jocko, I don't know what it would be.
0: Dude, you have to be a Navy SEAL with that name. You have no other options in life.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe yeah, the, the other option is like sparring partner with Mike Tyson, and you get beat up. Um, exactly.
0: Leif, Either way, you have a really cool job.
1: Yeah, and then the other guy's name is Leif Babin. That does not sound like... Leif Babin. I feel Where like you get these names? I feel this like incredible. He, he overcame a lot to be a Navy SEAL with that name. <sighs>
0: yeah. Um,
1: the problem with the book, as is the case with almost every leadership book, is that it should have been a TED Talk. Yeah. Or a couple blog posts. Yeah. And so what it was was they would tell a, a really fascinating military story from their yeah. time in Iraq. you know. So four pages yeah. of this and how it illustrated this leadership principle. All yeah. of that was excellent and interesting. Then they would go how this applies to business, and they would give a really weak sauce, uh-huh. seven-page example of working with some CFO – yeah. Uh, after chapter two, I just skipped all the business examples because I was like, I yeah. want the principle and I want the war stories because that's where the good stuff happens in this book. So, dude, what they really wanted
0: to do was just write like a bad egg collection of war stories. They probably should have done that and kept the business well, out of they, it.
1: Yeah. Well, they, they. I mean, there's there's two things going on here. One, they've started a a leadership consulting company that works with businesses, so they're drawing on this experience. But the other is, I mean. If you're a publisher, you can't sell a 160 page collection of war stories as leadership principles nearly as well as you can sort of the war of business.
0: Dude, right? You know, yeah. some
1: yeah, some some uh, armchair tough guy wants to read that. Dude, it
0: goes back to the bravery thing. Everybody wants to think of themselves as a tough guy, yeah. even if you're just a khaki wearing salesman. You deep down, like, there's a little tough guy in there that 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 needs the validation of a book like that. So I think a book like that is publishing genius.
1: Yeah, the, the way to read Extreme Ownership is to find an executive summary of it, like the 20-page mm-hmm. version that just gives you the principles, and just go yeah. with that because yeah. everything else is kind of
0: right. it, but yeah. But those principles are actually pretty good. Interesting. Dude, for me, I'm reading a book right now by Jonathan Franzen called Freedom. And Franzen is kind of the – I don't know. He's, he's maybe the heavyweight champ of like American literary fiction right now in that um, – He's really, really good. He was a contemporary of David Foster Wallace. So again, if you're a listener to the program, you know that my my Wallace man crush is well documented and I'm glad the,
1: you called it a man crush or I was gonna have to correct
0: whatever you did call it. Dude, no, it's it's absolutely a man crush. I was gonna go a level creepier and, and say <laughs> fetish, but then I self-edited <laughs> myself. And I just I, I settled on man crush as, a, as a more palatable option. Yeah. But but I have a Wallace man crush and I bought this book because I had heard and I I'd I read in an article that one of the characters was based loosely on Wallace, and uh, it is amazing. And the the book is called Freedom. Um, it's really about normal people doing normal things, um, but just all the emotion and nuance of being married, of going to college, of sending kids to college, of marital infidelity. It's it's the first book that I've that I've read that's really peeled back the horrific layers of marital infidelity in a way that like people always use the word glamorize people always say oh it does or doesn't glamorize it it goes deeper than that because I think it it just lays bare the emotions and in in ways that are really painful and challenging but also um in ways that make you want to stay married and stay faithful which I think is is a common grace kind of thing for us as believers I know I don't think Franzen's a believer but um but anyway just to a wonderfully written novel, very funny at times, and it, it's sort of – a lot of things I like about Wallace, it, it brings a lot of those things to the page, and it's my first go-around with friends, and so I'm definitely going to have to read um, more of him. But Pipe, we have we have wandered to and fro throughout this app, man. We have, we have. Uh, we've done what we always do, and next time we do this – will it be live next time we do this? I think it will, I right? mean, the, the next time we record, we will be yeah. sitting
1: with Ronald J. Martin and – 150 That's plus it. of our closest friends handing out That's Bibles right. and Nerf balls and sheet cake uh, in Louisville. Yeah,
0: it's going to be incredible. This is the last time we have to do this in the in our home studios for a little while. So, uh, Pipe, we have wandered to and fro throughout this episode, uh, listeners. We will see you at live in Louisville, and until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings.